My name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm a lead pastor at Redemption Church in Tempe. It's good to be with you guys. I got a chance to be here in the morning for both services, and it's good to be back out here this evening. So you're supposed to say something about your congregation and so forth um, when you go from the different congregations. So um, I, we're just in Tempe. I don't really have anything to say. Uh, a, lot, a lot of times people try to say we're a really young congregation, and that's possibly true, or um, you guys are just not as young. And so I... This morning was, 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 was really good. A lot, you guys have a lot of kids. There's a lot of stuff happening out here in the Southeast Valley. A lot of space, and so I guess a lot of space equals a lot of kids. Um, for the first six years that I was at Redemption Tempe, I think we had like 40 kids total in our, in our, in our church. Um, and now we, we're, we're like, we don't know what to do with like 180 to 200. Um, so we're, we're nowhere, clear, like nowhere near to where you guys are in your children's ministry. I think you guys have more volunteers than we have adults. And so uh, it's, so anyways, praise to you guys and, and God through you guys and so forth. So anyways, okay, so, um, so I've preached here before. In fact, when I was a youth pastor, the first time I ever got a chance to preach on a Sunday was when this church was called Second Mile. Luke asked me to come teach. I was at East Valley Bible Church, which is Redemption Gilbert, which Luke, myself, uh, Matthew Brazelton, we all worked together over there. And um, Luke started, there's this church here. And he was like, hey, you can come preach, with the, which I thought was great. I mean, Gilbert hadn't even asked me to preach, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Luke asked me to preach, and when you preach somewhere, you're not really sure how, if you did well enough to get the invite back, because that's usually the sign, like, oh, they like you. And it, it had been a while, and then Luke finally asked me back, and then I, I taught here maybe a few years ago, maybe like three or four years ago, and, um, and I was just wondering, like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe not, right? And so <laughs> I'm back, and so I'm thankful to be back here. I, did, I, didn't, I didn't know, we didn't know how this was going to go. Um, so, uh, so... A little bit about myself, I originally grew up in Southern California, LA area. My wife is from Northern California. We've been married, it'll be 12 months. All right, it will be, it will be 12 years next month. Um, it just feels like 12 months, how it's been like so awesome. <laughs> this is the one service she's at, so she's amazing. Uh, <laughs> we have two boys, we have a 10 year old and we have an eight year old and uh, they're here in the children's ministry. Uh, I, think that's, I think that's it. Okay. Preaching style. So everybody preaches different, and so it's different. So I talk extremely fast. And I know that it's my people, we're used to it because they're used to hearing me preach. Um, you guys aren't. And usually when I preach somewhere else, it's like, whoa, that was really fast. And here's the deal. I've been preaching for eight years, and every week I'm like, I'm going to slow it down. It's never happened. So I quit. I quit. So if, you, if there was something you feel like you missed, don't even ask your neighbor. Just go listen to the recording, slow it down, uh, or just, I don't know, email Luke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and so the text that we have this evening is out of Philippians, and so you guys are probably already there, and just a, just a general like, overview of where we've been. The book of Philippians in itself, one, it, we, we learn about the church that, that started in Philippi in the book of Acts. And what happened was there were actually th some praying women. They were praying and praying and praying. There was not a synagogue, which was common, is that the synagogue was where people would worship. There was no synagogue in Philippi. And these women, led by a woman by the name of Lydia, they prayed by the riverside. Meanwhile, Paul was going somewhere else, and there was this Macedonian call, or this call of the Spirit, to have him head a different direction. So he got to Philippi, and God, by the Spirit, began to work. And that's where the church was birthed, in this woman's home named Lydia. Now, while Paul was there, there was persecution um, because of his faith, and he was ran out of town. 
Now, as is common, Paul would go and the Lord would use him to start a church in a particular city, and then he would leave, and oftentimes he would write letters, which we know as epistles, back to these particular churches. Sometimes it would be correcting a doctrinal issue. Sometimes it would be uh, a letter of informing them. And sometimes it was just a letter of encouragement. What we have in Philippians, if you guys have been sitting underneath this, is a letter of encouragement. It is a friend writing letter to friends. And Paul uses this very effective language, like, I love you, I miss you, I yearn for you. It's a very, very intimate relationship between Paul and the people in Philippi. And so you have kind of this triangle that's happening. It's Paul's love for them, their love for Paul, and their mutual love of, in Christ and through the gospel. Paul, Paul's main concern is that the church is living out their identity in Christ with joy in the midst of persecution. And primarily, where we're at in chapter 3 in this moment, there's this group of people called Judaizers. And Judaizers were people who believed in Jesus for salvation, but they also believed in something else that people had to do. Primarily the Gentiles. And if you're not familiar with Gentiles, Gentiles is anybody who is not ethnically Jewish. And so they, they, they um, harped on things like circumcision. Um, they harped on things like religious rites and Mosaic law that they had to do. Now, what made this so passionate about Paul, even more passionate in the book of Galatians, is Paul knows this. If you add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you take anything away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've ruined the gospel. So this is not like an open-hand issue, like should we have evening service, should we not have evening service, can a church meet in a building, does it mean, this is, those are like open-hand issues. We can discuss and argue over that. This is a closed-hand issue that if you were to jack with this, you've jacked with all of Christianity and where we find our life and our joy. So you hear Paul like saying language like, look out for those dogs. Like he's not saying, hey, watch out for those guys, they're pretty nice, but no, he's like, no, they're a problem. And it's not so much those who are necessarily outside of the church. It's those who are getting the gospel wrong within the church, which is messing up um, its very purity of how we are accepted before God on the basis of Jesus Christ and what Christ has done alone. So that's where we're at this morning. Um, One of the things I forgot to say is, so um, if I say something true, like God is good, I'm going to say something like amen, and then you guys would respond by saying, yeah, and just be just as enthusiastic as you were just there. (laughs) It'll go great. It'll go really great. I'll never get asked to come back again. Honestly, I think Luke wanted me to come out because he wanted me to see these new digs. I, I know it because he didn't even text. He, he texted me and he didn't even text me like, hey, how'd it go? He goes, hey, what was your favorite part about our new building? I said, the jealousy part, the envy part, the covetous part. Like, which part do you want me to confess to you? Because at Tempe, we're just holding on like with like shoelaces and duct tape and, and 20-somethings. So we're, that's... That's, that's our ministry. So let's pray <laughs> for our new building. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you that you are present with us by your spirit and by the preaching and teaching of your word. Not by the gift, but by the very person of your spirit. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for all of which we could do to worship and singing and the hearing of your word. Lord, and then later partaking in the bread and the wine which are more than just symbols, Lord, but remind us, Lord, of your very presence in our life that nourishes us to be your children. We thank you for the gift of being able to gather and all that that means. That we pray, Lord, that um, we would be able to have our minds and our, and our hearts opened and the scriptures illumined. God, that we would be able to take wherever we are coming from this evening, the, the busyness, the chaos, uh, Lord, particular sins that we're wrestling with, doubt that we may be wrestling with, joy that we're celebrating, and all those different range of emotions, Lord, and we'd be able to center them around the person and work of Jesus. God, we pray that you and ultimately the glory, your glory would, be, would be elevated, Lord, that we would be able to sit underneath you and worship you and receive you. 
We want to praise you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the things that's pretty innate with human beings is we love to impress each other. We love to be seen and so forth. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be seen. I think sometimes in Christian circles we go too far, like, oh, that you don't want to be seen. You know, you're being prideful. It's like, no, like, you're made, right? The fact that you're made in the image of God, God wants somebody to see you, right? Like, we would never, I don't have a daughter, but if we have a little daughter, like, she would never, like, come out with her dress and be like, daddy, look at my dress. I wouldn't say, like, you little narcissistic. Like, I would never, I would never do that. Like, there's something about we want to be seen. But one of the things we do from little kids all the way up to adults is we want to impress people, right? For those of you guys who are dating right now, the person next to you is not really who you think it is. Um, you'll find out if you guys get married. Um, like, there's this sense of you want to impress. And so I remember my first crush, I was probably eight or nine years old. I was in fourth grade. Um, we could say her name was Krista, because that was exactly her name. And, 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 and you know, and part of it, I remember it, because you remember the first time you, you, you like somebody, especially if that person doesn't like you back. And so... She said her favorite team was the Oakland A's. And I've been a Dodger fan my whole life. So I went and got an Oakland A's hat, wore it to school. She didn't even notice. She never said anything. So fourth grade, that didn't work. Fifth grade rolls around. I'm thinking fifth grade is my year. It's, it's, it's about to go down. And um, she said in fifth grade that she was really into, like, this is like an error. So I'm going to give my particular age, which is still young. Um, is it was all about boys to men and Whitney Houston. This is like on bended knee. And I'm like, why not? So, you know, and I thought maybe that would be it. I I learned all the lyrics and everything. I thought I was going to be the bodyguard. Didn't work. Um, <laughs> sixth grade, we get into junior high school. And junior high school is, for us, it was, you know, you multiple classes. And I think by the providence of God, she was in four out of my six classes. It could be that we were in the same reading level and the same math level as well. But we were all in the, in these, in the same classes. And we were sitting around our homeroom table in first period. And she says, one of the things I love is the smell of my dad's cologne. And I thought, cologne, that's what I need. Now, my dad wasn't, was in and out, so I didn't have any cologne, but I had an older sister, and she had some perfume. <laughs> and I was thinking, who really knows the difference, right? <laughs> 11-year-old me. And uh, so I took it and, you know, put some, uh, some, not cologne, perfume on, and showed up to class thinking she's going to smell me, she's going to ask me to marry her. And so... She's like, oh, my gosh, who, what is that smell? Someone has way too much perfume on. And I was just like, yeah, who is that? Like looking around the table like, Can't, couldn't be me. And so I went to the PE room and changed and put on my PE shirt. And, uh, yeah, never worked out with Krista, guys. Um, that's, that's, that's it. In fact, two years later, I grew five inches, and I got one of those you know, letters in junior high like, hey, do you want to date Krista? It's like, no. It's like, why? Because for four years I tried to pursue Krista. She needs to know what it feels like. So... <laughs> Listen, that has nothing to do with what Paul is saying. But the point, about, the point about us trying to impress is we'll do some silly things to try to get another person to be able to like us or accept us and so forth. And the crazy thing about it is we do the same thing religiously too. You know, if I had to have a title for this, which I don't usually give titles. I think there was a title over there. It was like rubbish, resume of rubbish. I did not come up with that. That's a Luke thing. Um, my title would be religion versus relationship. And usually pastors have three points. I don't usually have three points, but I'm, I got I've had three points all day today, and guess what? I'm going to give them to you guys too. Uh, the first one is to know Christ. The second one is to gain Christ. And the third one is to be found in Christ. All right? Now, here's, here's the thing. Those of you guys who are note takers, let's see if I get through any of those. Um, and if I do two out of the three, that's amazing. And if I do three out of three, you guys owe me something at the end of this service. All right? So what we have here is when it comes to religion, I, I mean that word in a pejorative way, in a negative way. And that is things in which we do to make ourselves right before God. And so if you think about this picture, it's religion is saying we're away from home and we need, in order for us to come home, we need to get everything right and clean ourselves up before we can come home. 
Well, relationship is we are away from home. God knows we're away from home. God knows that we do not have the ability in ourselves to make it home or clean up ourselves. So what he does in love for us is he sends his son to find us, to bring us home as we are. And that picture that we have of the gospel is far more about relationship than it is about what we need to do to stand before God. In essence of God, what he's done for us in Christ in which we can stand before him. So another way to say it as we begin to talk about what Paul is talking about, which is centering on our relationship with Jesus and nothing else to add or take away from the gospel. And what what he's saying is when it comes to us being accepted before God, it's not anything that we do. We are accepted on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. So there's nothing we do to earn it. There's nothing we do to lose it. We stand in that on the basis of Jesus. It's something which we receive. So, so again, to say it a different way, the way in which we begin to understand and grasp the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we have to accept his acceptance of us in Jesus. And all we need is need in itself. And when we acknowledge that we have need, we can find that met in the person of Jesus. We never get beyond that. We never get past it. We only deepen that relationship in which is given to us in Christ Jesus. So if anything or anyone tries to jack with that relationship, we must be passionate to guard the truth of scriptures, not just we may remain Christians, but that we may know Christ and be intimately found in him and the ways in which God intended. Amen? So, so the way that Paul begins to say this is going, you can't impress God. And you go, well, I'm not a religious person. We, we try to find, if we're not very religious, we will find a different type of religion. And not a religion of faith, but something else in which we find our identity placed in. Right? Some of you may say, well, I'm really good at business. But when it comes to God, you, you just, it, you're not as good as he is. That's just the best way to say it. In Greek or in Hebrew, you're not as good as God. Right? You say, well, I got a good business. I own a good business. Well, God owns the world. Okay? And you say, well, I'm a good parent. Okay, he's had one child. His name's Jesus. He did really well, guys, like really well. No matter how good your kid is and what sport, no matter what charter school you have him in, because there's a plenty out here, doesn't matter. Jesus is better, okay? He's best. So Paul, beginning to talk about people who find themselves rooted and immersed in some religion over relationships, says this, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul starts off by saying, listen, what I have to say, I've already said it to you. So he must have already said it to him at some point. He goes, but it's all good because I will say it to you again. And we will say it to you again and again. And your friends and family members and brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to say it to each other again. And what he's about to say is, The gospel of Jesus matters most. So he says, since that matters most, look out for the dogs who mutilate the flesh. Now, Paul is playing on words here. Um, When I first became a Christian, I used to read the New Testament. It was amazing to me how often circumcision is mentioned. Like, you guys ever think about that? Sometimes I think we're in church so much that we're like, oh, yeah, circumcision. But, like, what other conversations are you in that that comes up that much? I mean, unless you are in the medical field, right? Primarily with babies. Like, it's not like, oh, the other day, yeah, me and John were together. Anyway, so circumcision came up again. And uh, it's like, he's always talking about that, right? You know, it's like, yeah, it comes up in the Bible because it was a marker, right? It was a sign of faith that you belong to the covenant people of God. But it was a sign of faith. It pointed to something that was to come. 
And what Paul is saying is these Judaizers who are trying to say that now that you're in Christ, you also need to be circumcised. He says they are actually, they mutilate the flesh. And mutilation is more than just circumcision. I'm I'm not a doctor and I don't want to go into biology lesson here, but it means going the whole way. Use your imagination. All right. I'm not going to say anything awkward and weird from the stage. Paul makes a point to go, it's a play on words to go, those dogs who mutilate the flesh who are trying to ruin you. He goes, well, when we are really the true circumcision, not by hands, but by the Spirit, not by works, but by grace, not by anything we've done, but what God has done on our behalf. He says, we put no confidence in the flesh. Now, when Paul is saying confidence in the flesh, he's not saying that the things in which you do the things in which you make, your job, the way you raise your kids, the relationships you have, um, your vocation, like all the things that you can create and make. He's not saying those things don't matter and they're useless. He's saying if you bring it into the realm of economics, there is such a thing as loss and gain. And if you lose these things, meaning you don't find your identity in them, you might be able to find your identity in that which you gain, which is Christ. He's saying the confidence cannot be put in the flesh, meaning there's no way that he's resting in his ability, his morality, or his ability to obey enough to be able to reach the kingdom of God. Um, Some of us, we get into these religious, like, duties that we think somehow these things are drawing us nearer to God. And if some way we're, like, climbing up a religious ladder only to realize that if we were to make it to the very top of the ladder, it's just tilted against the wrong building anyway. So, So Paul... Is, is saying what we would do, like in our, in our day, we would say like, what are some things we would say? The way we show that we choose religion over relationship, we can tell by our language. Somebody comes to you and says, how's your relationship with Jesus going? Oh, it's great. And then you begin to detail certain activities. It's going great. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I've been serving at the church, all three services. I've been to VBS twice. Uh, like, whatever it is, I'm doing all these things. Or you ask, how's your relationship with Jesus going? Oh, it's not going that well. I haven't I haven't been to church in a long time, and the one time I showed up, Luke's black now. And so, like, it's, it's, there's, there's, someone's going to walk away from this thing and go, dang, they got black pastor at Gateway. Uh, <laughs> who knew? <laughs> uh, they didn't. Um, so you, you have whatever religious things, and usually it's off of duty. But if, if you were, those of you who are married, if I said, hey, describe your relationship with your wife, like, how's your wife? How are you guys doing? You wouldn't say, well, I mean, shoot, the other day I cut the grass, and then, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't say it's going well. Well, how do you know? Man, you know what? I cooked breakfast the other day, picked up the kids, took them to school. Like, you wouldn't just, you would say, yo, it's going really well. You might tell a story about shared life together because there's actually a relationship that's there. So Paul says, anybody who's trying to get rid of that, like, meaning that's trying to add to that, Get those people out of it. We put no confidence in the flesh. But then Paul does something here. He goes, as if there were a way to put confidence in the flesh, he goes on to say, I would be one. Like, if there were a way to do it in the flesh, nobody could have done it better than me. And he goes on to say, verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I I, I gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the, the, dude, I can't even read tonight, guys. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Someone's like, you're good, it's okay. I appreciate that. Um, I counted as loss. 
Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul says, listen, if there was a way to be the best Hebrew, I was it. Like born, eight days later, circumcised of the people of Israel, um, of the tribe of Benjamin, which of all the tribes, the, Benj- the Benjamite tribe was like the best tribe. It'd be like if you take all the redemption congregations, like Gateway's the best tribe. Uh, you know, and that's, that's what I say every, everywhere, right? And it's, he's saying, as a Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, as to the law, a Pharisee, like I, I know it all. Um, as to zeal, I persecuted the church because I thought it was against the law. Like nobody could out-Hebrew me. He goes, but... If that's what we're doing, and that is in the lost column, compare it to that in which I gain and the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. He says there's something about Christ that supersedes all of that. Okay, we got to rewind the story back just a little bit for the sake of context. The people of God in the Old Testament, where they got it wrong was they thought that God's choosing of them was primarily about race. That's why he says Hebrew, Israel, and so forth. God did choose them, but it had nothing to do with their race. It had everything to do with his grace. It was always God's mode of operation is that he would choose people that not because of what they did, ultimately because of what he wanted and what he desired, and he would set his affection and his love on them to carry out a particular purpose. And Paul's saying that purpose, we failed, the people of God, the Israelites, and it succeeded it's, it's won, it's found, it's completed in Christ Jesus. So all of which we were supposed to do but failed, we now receive not in actions but in faith in Christ Jesus. Therefore, these things become lost, and this one thing, the thing that matters the most, relationship with Jesus, becomes the biggest gain, the surpassing weight, as he talks about, to be able to know Christ Jesus. Now here's something. When Paul talks about here, about to know Christ, which is point number one for those of you who are taking notes, to know Christ, that word knowing there is actually not a verb, it's a noun. What that means is he's not talking about just intellect. That doesn't mean you don't engage God with your mind and with your brain. Like you bring all of yourself to who God is in Christ. But primarily what he's talking about is, is relationship and experience, to know somebody, to get to know somebody to be around somebody, to begin to mimic and to look like that person, to love that person, right? It's not lists and it's not lines. It is someone in whom you have your affections for and with, and that person begins to reciprocate that particular love. He's saying all of this, my whole life is centered around knowing and deepening this relationship that I have with the Messiah. Every Christian, whether it's when you first become a Christian, it's by faith and having a relationship with Jesus. The way that we grow as Christian is by faith and deepening our relationship with Jesus. The way that our relationship with God is ultimately and our faith is perfect is by knowing and having a relationship with Jesus. Listen, this cannot be abstract, right? It cannot be, I read read all these books and I know about God and I know all these doctrines and I know who was chosen, who was not chosen. Listen, it's about Jesus. Like if we miss that, we've missed it all. Like we've missed it. You don't have to have affections and love for somebody to know details about them. We all can think about our most a famous actor or our favorite actress or superstar or whatever it is, we can know things about them and not have any relationship with them at all. If I just gave you facts about my wife, that doesn't mean that I love her, right? It, you should be able to be around somebody and go, I can tell he spent time with her, he spent time with him. And I think when it comes to people of God, people should be able to tell that we've spent time with him. 
Like, it should be noticeable. Because you know, like I know, this is just a sociological thing. You begin to act like, look like, talk like, sometimes walk like the people who you're around. Right? Chiropractors really even tell you that kids will mimic the way that their parents walk. And you know it. You, you, we all have friends, because you can't see it in your own kids. We all have friends that you see their kid walk, like, oh, my gosh. Like, the way that he walks just like him. And, and the kid's all walking all pigeon-toed. And the dad's like, I don't walk like that. And it's just like, no, you don't. <laughs> Not at all, right? There's, we, have, we have to have a relationship that is centered in Jesus Christ and to be able to have the affection that we only receive in Christ Jesus. Well, um, and when it comes to this relationship, as Paul's saying, the lost category is the things that we have to do to earn it. Right? When you're in a relationship with somebody, you don't do things to earn their relationship. Right? You do it because of the relationship. Are there rules? Yeah, but the rules are there for the relationship. Right? There's no rules that are there you have to do to get the relationship. Like, like, I think about me and my relationship with my wife. Like if I do something for her, I, I can't do things and go, hey, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to pick up the kids. I'm going to do all the, I'm helping with their homework. I'm going to paint, which is something I've never done. Um, and then now I do all these things and go, do you, do you love me? Right? One, she would say, stop, that's pitiful. Quit doing that. Um, but it was like, no, what do you mean? If, yeah, I loved you. Did you do that to make me love you? It's like, no, I do those things because I love her. And she does things because she loves me. We obey God because he loves us and because we love him. It is the outflow of a relationship of submitting and being in oneness and unity and knowing who Christ is. Amen? Well, Paul doesn't just stop with the knowing. He actually begins to to flesh that out even more, uh, if you're with me. I continue in verse 8. It says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered loss to all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may, the second point, gain Christ. Now, I think it's interesting as we're talking about this, like, you don't do anything to earn Christ. Although it seems here when you, when you read the word gain, like, it literally means to win Christ. And when it comes to winning, usually we think of competition, right? So my wife played college soccer, and I played college football. And our DNA is to compete. And our DNA is to compete against each other. Now, she wouldn't say this, and maybe she would, but she can't. I got the mic. Uh, <laughs> Even when we go on walks, if I'm walking a half a step ahead of her, she speeds up. And if I speed up, she speeds up. Here's what she's trying to do. She's trying to win, right? And, and it's fine. It's cute. Uh, when it gets real bad, we get into an argument. Let's just say hypothetically there was this one time where we got into this cornhole competition. And let's just say clearly I was winning. And she was trying to figure out a way not to win. Now, there's two sides to every story. Every wedding counselor and marriage counselor will tell you this. But this is my side. And her side should be the same unless she's lying. Okay? <laughs> and we, we, we just, I mean, it just kind of blew up. And she starts saying words she should have never said before God. And, and then, no, you guys probably know the story. It's totally the other way around. Right? And it's just this competition that we, we naturally have. When, when Paul here says to win Christ, there's no competition. It is not so much about what we do to win him. It's actually what he's done to, want to win us. And that's giving himself. What it means here to gain Christ literally means to receive him. And what makes this difficult for us, even though it sounds good, we don't receive well. Like as adults, like we don't do well with receiving. Like people try to give you something that you feel like, like an extravagant. Like somebody opens the door for you, like, oh, thanks for opening the door for me. And if there's a second door, you run in front of them. <laughs> right? Because you don't, it's like I got to pay you back for all of that work. Um, and if it's something that's extravagant, we don't really know how to receive it. So years ago, 
um, when we first started uh, doing the gift thing with me and my wife and then her brother and sister-in-law, um, we kind of had a set idea, like, of what we would do for gifts. Like, we wouldn't, like, spend a bunch of money on each other. And we'd just mail gifts off. And then we get their gift. And I can't remember what it was, but it was a lot. I mean, it was just like, what in the, oh, gosh, like, I can't believe, you know, they can't, I can't believe they would do this. This is too much, you know. And you already know what you gave them, right? We, like, sent off a calendar, right? And it's like, it's already in the mail. We can, and the calendar, it's not even a cool calendar. It's, it was a calendar with a picture of us every month of the year. <laughs> it's like, there they go again, you know. Um, and you almost feel like you can't accept a gift because it's too much. But you know who's really good at accepting gifts? Kids, right? You can go get a seven-year-old out of that classroom right now and go, hey, here's a gift card for $500, Timmy. And Timmy's going to go, thank you. Yes. Right? <laughs> He's like, you know how much gear I can get on Fortnite with this? This is about to go crazy. I got some new skins. I'm ready, right? Why? They can just receive it. In fact, you know what they reject? They reject the calendars. They're like, what is this? Like, is this, is this you guys the whole time, right? They can receive, they can receive the gift. Um, what, when it comes to what Paul is saying is, we just receive Jesus. We receive him. And the, to know him is have relationship and to be able to receive him. There's nothing we do. We don't do anything to be able to earn him. We don't do anything to win him. We just receive him as he is. And then he receives us as we are. And he just doesn't leave us as we are. Because the gospel continues to work on our life. Well, Paul begins to wrap this up particularly here in he says this, not only that we may gain Christ, verse 9, it says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, that I might share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So here's, here's what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying now that we may be found in him. So to know him is that there's experience of love. And then to gain Christ is that we receive him and to be found in him. And he's talking about righteousness. He goes that I may stand before God as a standing that we have before God. And he says that what we have is that we're found in Christ. I believe that we're people who don't really want to be found. We're people who want to be noticed. And here's what I mean by the difference. Um, When we're people who want to be noticed, we want to be noticed by the things we do. Like if we do something really well, it's like, hey, check this out. Like, I want you to notice this. Like I want, I want my, my employer to notice these things. I, I want my spouse, I want my friend, I want my neighborhood to notice certain things. Like, we want to be noticed. Oh, is that you who did that? Yeah, that was me. Thank you. Like, we want to be noticed. To be found has nothing to do with your performance. Like, you can't hide behind your performance. I can, I can hide right now. I can say funny jokes. I could do enough study that I can preach a sermon and go, oh, that was really good. I could, I could be hiding so much, Right? So those of you guys in this room who are leaders, leaders, we could hide behind being leaders. Parents can hide behind being parents. You can hide behind something in which you do. What he's talking about being found is coming completely naked and unashamed. That is difficult. It's been difficult since the very beginning of time. Is that when sin entered this world, we put on fig leaves. We just changed the fig leaves that Adam and Eve, our first mother and father, put on, and we put on all sorts of performance fig leaves. We put on our beauty fig leaves. We put on our children's performance 
fig leaves. We put on our performance fig leaves. We put on our big truck fig leaves. We put on our house fig leaves. We put on our 401k fig our legacy. Whatever it may be, all really good things, but not the main things, and we present those things. And even when it comes to ourself, we don't put forth our true self. We put together some, some silhouette, uh, like fake self of who we are, depending on the group that we're around, hoping that they would accept us. Because to really be found is to be found out who you really, really, really are. And that's a very scary thing because most of us don't even really know who we really, really are. And if we do know who we really, really are, we're not even sure if we would even accept ourselves. I mean, if you truly know yourself, you're like, I wouldn't hang out with myself. And that's not some self-hatred thing, Ricardo, you just need more self-esteem. Trust me, I got a lot of self-esteem. A lot. Probably too much half the time, right? The, 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 The issue here is going, it's not being found in your performance. It's actually being found in Christ. And you say, well, What does that look like? It literally means that your righteousness, what God looks at and what he accepts from you, is not what you bring to the table. It is not you living a good life and having a particular record in which you offer up to God and God looks at it and goes, yeah, I will accept you. It's not an interview to get into the kingdom of God. It's actually Jesus coming down and he does the work and he has the record and he offers it up to the Father, not on his behalf, but on our behalf. And so now God looks down and he sees, as he sees his son, he sees us. So, so here's a silly illustration. When I was, when I first, we moved to a new town um, growing up and I first started playing tackle football and our, our coach gave us two uniforms, a practice uniform and a game uniform. And the first day of pads, he was like, make sure you wear the practice uniform. And I, I didn't listen because the game uniform looked way better in the practice uniform, and I'm all about it, feel good, look good, play good. So I put on the game uniform, I show up to practice. This kid, Ryan Tolan, we're like eight years old, uh, end up being the best man in my wedding, still one of my best friends. Ryan Tolan stands, he sees me, he goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you have your game uniform. I know, the game uniforms look dope, right? And he says, wait, there's Kathy, she's the president of Pop Warner's. Oh, you're gonna get in so much trouble, because that's what eight-year-olds think, right? And so he jumps in front of me and does this, right? <laughs> Because that's, you know, that's what you do when you're eight. I got you, right? And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, she'll see me and she won't see you, right? What Jesus does for us and what Paul is so passionate about it, Jesus jumps in and he looks at our situation and he knows the father will, he's like, you got the wrong thing on and it's sin and it's all over you. You know what? I'm going to actually jump in. I'm actually going to die and I'm going to be raised to new life. So now, when it comes to the power of the resurrection and this new life that God promises, you get to enter into, and God's going to see me, and he's going to accept you. Let's take this a little deeper before we land this plane. Because even then, that could be a little abstract. And we don't need more things that are abstract to, to like, bounce around our heads. We need things that are filtered in our hearts. When we think about God and his love for us, guys, oftentimes we think about God, we go, okay, we, we, we describe God as a creator, which is very good because he's, he's a creator. Or we describe God as a judge because biblically he is a judge. Um, but what did he do before there was a sin to judge? And you go, okay, well, um, that's right. At, at best, sometimes we think God is like this, this judge or divine police that's kind of out there to like make sure we're like doing some, everything right. You're like, you know what it's like when you're on the highway and the, the lights come on? Even if you know you're driving well. Like, you immediately think they're coming to get you, 
right? And then if they are coming to get you and they pull you over, you ever get the feeling like, man, I'm probably guilty. I probably got a gun in my car right now. I probably got, I got possession. And you're like, wait, I haven't had possession. It's been years since, I mean, some of, you know, right? And you just start feeling like, and sometimes we think when God's on us, like that's what's happening. No, but okay, let's go back. What was God doing before he created, before there was sin the judge? You know what he's always been? He's always been a father. So when you think of it that way, the thing that God can do the best or the thing that he's done the longest, he's always loved his son. And when he says that we're found in Christ, and Paul says that, what he's saying is this righteousness we have is not just a foreign righteousness, which is true, but it's a foreign affection in which none of us can ever have. I don't care how good your dad was. That, th- that, that means that as the father has always loved the son, now he sets that same affection that he has on Jesus and he sets on all of us. And every single man and every single woman and every single child that would believe in him. The reason why Paul is so passionate about this is not because he's the doctrine police. Not because he's the theological police. Because he knows what it's like to be deeply loved by God. And anybody who jacks with that, he wants to make sure that they are ran out. Because when we understand the affection of our father to know Christ in relationship, to receive him and gain him, and to be found in him in a righteousness in which we can't not be found in anything else other than Jesus, and that the saving love of Christ is set in affectionate ways upon us, that God is not with sirens after us to somehow get us. He's actually act after us with big arms to love us, to wrap his arms around us, to embrace us, that we may now live for him and perfect and right relationship because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Amen? Amen? So when we get that, now we may be able to know what it's like to pursue that sort of resurrected life, to pursue the power of that resurrection, to know what it's like to live in deep relationship with Jesus. And we're going to end there, and then whoever's preaching next week is going to have to tell you what that looks like because uh, I won't be here. <laughs> All right? Let's pray. God, we, um, we thank you because you were, you were more than good. And uh, you were not just a good father, Jesus. You are a good savior. And spirit, you are a great comforter. And that you are father, son, and spirit at work in the salvation of your world. We thank you, Lord, that you give us your word. And Lord, that we may know what you are like, God. That we may know what you are up to in this world and how we may participate and how we get invited into it. And Lord, we thank you that you look at us, Lord, and you don't treat us as our sins deserve. But Jesus, you actually cover, you actually forgive, you remove, you make new, that we may have a relationship with you. In ways that we begin to mimic the people in whom we spend the most time with, God, may we spend a lot of time as a community with you, that we may mimic what you're like in the world around us. That our words and our actions in the home, in the playground, in the school, in the marketplace, and on the various vocations where your people will be at tomorrow. May we begin to reflect the light and love of Jesus and what you've done for us. May that knowing relationship that we have shape our lives. God, may we understand what it's like to receive you, to be filled with your spirit. And Lord, when the insecurities are just bursting at the seams because of our lack of performance, our fear of performance, of doing the right thing or of doing the wrong thing so many times, and we humbly confess that we are found in you and accepted as your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.